All right, everybody. How many of you are ready to get into the Word tonight? How many of you love the Word? You love it? Amen. All righty. We're going to look tonight at Jehovah Rophi, the Lord who heals us. And let's stand together to read Exodus 15, 26, where this name of God first appeared. Now, we've been sharing with you that um, God revealed Himself aspects of his character, the multifaceted dimensions of his character through the names that either he named himself or people who were experiencing him in some level of revelation or even crisis named him. And so when we look at these names, we're learning something about God. All right? So here we go tonight with the sixth one that we've looked at. And let's read this together. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Father, we just thank You. For the revelation of Your name, we thank You for the power that is in Your name. The names of God, Lord, are powerful. And I pray for supernatural revelation, that you would give us divine illumination in our hearts, increase our understanding. Let this go deep down inside of us that we never forget it. We receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our soul. Now will you say, Lord, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good tonight. You better listen. All right. I love studying this, and i got to tell you the truth. Um, as I study this, sometimes I just scoot back from my desk, and I have to just kind of see law and what I'm really looking at, what I'm studying, because it, it moves on me. And if you're wondering where, you know, these transparencies come from, I type them all out. This is, this is what I do. And so as I'm typing it and preparing the message and studying and researching, um, I get so touched. And i got to tell you, this series on the names, for me, is going to change my life. I've always heard them. It's not that I haven't heard most of these. But when you look at the repercussions of these names, the ramifications of these names, it is just a, it's just a a powerful thing. We serve a mighty God. Can you say that with me? We serve a mighty God. Can you say we serve an able God? Now one more time, we serve a healing God. All right, let's look at that tonight. We've seen the last few times that God's character is revealed by His names. Some of the names given to describe God were provided by Him, while others were provided by human beings in the context of a particular experience or revelation they had of Him. Now last time, for instance, we looked at the compound name for God, Jehovah Jireh, which stands for Jehovah's great provision for our redemption in the sacrifice of His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the context in which Jehovah Jireh was received and revealed. Abraham called God Jehovah Jireh. Abraham declared God to be Jehovah Jireh after God provided a ram in the place of Isaac, his son. Abraham said, 
in the mountain of the Lord it shall be seen. And we looked last week at how powerful that was because he's using future tense. Now he already had the ram in his hand. The ram was already provided. The ram was actually past tense. He'd already sacrificed the ram in the place of Isaac. So when he said in the mouth of the Lord, it, 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 the preposition it shall be, that's future. Well, what in the world shall be seen? What did Abraham see? Well, we saw that the same mountain where he was offering his son is the very place later called Calvary. And the it was the son of the living God. And what would be seen was God's ultimate provision for our sin, our redemption, our healing, our everything. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Isn't that just powerful? And so you, you see that this, the, he had no Bible. This is what blows me away. He had no Bible, no scriptures, no Old Testament, nothing. That waited for Moses 400 years later. No Pentateuch, no nothing. But he had this walk with God, and he had a spirit of prophecy on him. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now that was Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, the place where Isaac was nearly sacrificed. And that's what became the scene of Calvary and the crucifixion of Christ. So in the mount of the Lord, it was seen when Christ was crucified. Amen. Now, what we're going to see in the next few weeks is there is a beautiful order to the compound names of God as they appear in Scripture. And they appear in an order, a chronological order. And there is a beautiful uh, flow with these names. They connect. It's like connecting dots. We're going to see a progressive revelation of Jehovah meeting every need as it arises in the experience of, of His redeemed people. Saving, sustaining, strengthening, sanctifying, and so on as the names are going to reveal. Now the next name, the one we're going to look at this time, is Jehovah Rophi. Can you say it with me? Jehovah Rophi. And this name arose out of Israel's earliest experiences in the wilderness. That's where it comes forth. In fact, it was their first experience after the crossing of the Red Sea. That's powerful. Now, if you want to just talk about time here, Moses was 400 years after Abraham. So we've got this name, Jehovah Jireh, and for four centuries, that name pretty much remained it in terms of any new revelation about any new aspect of the character of God. But now four centuries later, 400 years, here comes another one. I'm going to tell you, our God's never in a hurry. He's always on time, but it ain't never my time. That's bad English, but that's good preaching. He's always on time, but it's never my time. Amen? Any of you that same way? Lord, I want it, and I want it now. Hallelujah. All right. Unfortunately, this name, Jehovah-Rophi, uh, this name for God was revealed on the heels of what was also their first decline into murmuring and complaining. And these people had a problem with their tongue. Matter of fact, it buried them in the wilderness. Their complaining and their murmuring buried them in the wilderness. They never ate the fruit because of their tongue. 
Remember that. The Bible records that the way was hot and weary and their water was giving out. And then the scripture says, quote, And they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, I want you to catch this. Have you ever gone without water for three days? I never have. I've fasted lots of times for three days and much longer, but never water because you've got to have water. So when you've gone three days and you're in a wilderness and there's no water, it's 911. It's spooky. There's no water. And what God is doing, the Bible tells us, God is testing them. God is testing their heart. He wants to know what's in them. And you know the old story about these people. God got them out of Egypt, but never got Egypt out of them. And I want to tell you, one of the works of the Holy Ghost in you and me is we've been delivered out of the world, but now He's getting the world out of us. And that's why you need the renewing of the mind. That's why you've got to stay in the Word, stay in church, stay in fellowship. Because He's, he's getting the world out of you. And that takes a lifetime. Hallelujah. And that's, that's just the truth. Well, tell me some more good news, Pastor Jeff. Well, you, take, you, take, you come into the things of Christ just like they came into the promised land, square foot by square foot, step by step. All right? Now, so here they are, and they're starting to murmur and complain. And when they finally found some, look what it was. I mean, their hopes were up. There's water. But they began to drink it, and the Bible says they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were what, everybody? Bitter. They were bitter. Now, what an experience to be dying of thirst. And then you think God provided. And you come up on it and you begin to drink what you think God provided. And it's bitter. It's bitter. And their hopes were dashed and crushed. They began to doubt everything. They began to question everything. Has God brought us out here to kill us? Is this guy we're following a fake, a phony? What is this? We, we crossed the sea. We got delivered from Egypt. But what, are we going to croak here in the wilderness, die of thirst? Where is God? So I want you to say th something with me. They had a bitter experience. Not, not only was the water bitter, but they had a bitter experience. Now, I want to know if I'm talking to real human beings. Have you had a bitter experience since you were saved? <laughs> Some of you are just kind of looking at me. I'm going to ask it again. Have you had a bitter experience since you were saved? Let me see your hand. If you have not had one, well, then you're not saved. I'm kidding. Watch this now. So keep that in mind because this water for me, and, I, and really I, I think God intended this, this water is metaphorical for life. It's, it's a picture, an illustration of life. They had a bitter experience. But as they're standing there with this bitter water and they're starting to complain, God shows Moses a tree. Now catch this. God shows Moses a tree. And he said, I want you to take that tree and I want you to cast it into this bitter water. And it says, when the tree was cast into the waters, they turned from bitterness to sweet. When the tree was cast into the bitterness, the bitter became sweet. Do you get it? When the wood, the tree that God gave Moses, 
after turning the bitter waters to sweet. Listen to what God said. Let's read it again, can we? If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now that's the first time in the presence of these bitter waters that God revealed Himself as Jehovah Rophi. He revealed Himself as Jehovah Rophi in the presence of a bitter experience. He said, I'm the Lord who heals you. I'm the Lord who heals you in the midst of a bitter experience. And I'm the Lord who heals the bitter waters of life. In the same way that Jehovah Jireh was revealed to Abraham in the midst of a crisis experience four centuries earlier, so out of Israel's bitter experience in the wilderness, there arose another new and comforting name for God. Jehovah Rophi, I am the Lord who heals you. Now, they had never heard that. What kind of news do you think that was to be told the God who took us across that sea, the God who we saw judge the Egyptians, and he was a fearsome God, a scary God, a judging God, a vengeful God, that God, if we obey him, is a God who heals us. He's our healer. Can we say it again? God is my healer. Now he, now he says, hello, I'm God who heals you. He says, that's my name. That's what I do. I'm in the healing business. And if you follow me and obey me, you're going to find out that I'm the Lord who heals you. And I want to tell you something, church, tonight. I want to be clear about this. I don't believe in greasy grace or sloppy agape. I believe that God heals those who follow him. I believe that you, you position yourself for healing. I'm not just talking about physical healing. I think we're more damaged as a nation in our soul than we ever thought about being physically. And so he says, there is no healing from me until you begin to walk with me and obey me, obey what I show you to do. And healing begins when you obey. Hebrew says, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now notice, healing is linked with a straight path. Okay? So watch this now. We need a healer. How many of you can admit we need a healer? We need a healer in the church. Can I have an amen on that one? We need a healer in the church. How bad do we need a healer? Well, the human race needs a healer. Watch the news one day. Disease is everywhere and often rampant. Manifesting in epidemics and pandemics. The history of mankind has seen an endless battle with disease and plague. As far back as you can reach into the distant history of man, you will find plagues and sickness wiping out towns, cities, and entire cultures. All you got to do is just do a little st study of the Middle Ages and the Black Plague. And I got to tell you, it's a fearsome thing to read. Terrible plagues and scourges have at times threatened the existence of an entire continent. During the Middle Ages, the Black Plague wiped out a fourth of Europe. Christians that were alive 
in those days thought it was the end of time. And, and, and I would have thought it was the end of time. It was such a fearsome plague. And I'll just, I'll just tell you the way it really was. I've read a lot of accounts of it. I've read a lot of books about the, this plague because I wanted to, to understand how Christians have viewed the world all the way back to Christ. And when the Black Plague began to move through Europe, it was so vicious that people would be standing talking to each other in a town and one of them would suddenly begin to breathe hard and drop, would begin to throw up blood and died in minutes. It was like the death angel had been released over the whole earth. And back then in the Middle Ages, let's remember, that was the world. Europe was the world. It was all people knew. So you had these little hamlets and these little villages and these little towns. And, and people would come up on these little places, these little towns and, and so, so on and so forth uh, uh, as ones who had not lived there but came to visit and would find the whole town vacated like a ghost town. Everybody wiped out. Christians would get together and pray and ask God for mercy. Many thought, I'm looking at the, the, one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. It has been released. This is it. This is the book of Revelations. It's over. It was fearsome. But you can go beyond the Middle Ages and go all the way back to before Christ, before the first century in B.C. and find plagues wiping out millions, thousands and thousands of people. It's always been around. Our world needs healing. And what I want you to see is in the midst of this darkness and these difficulties and the disease and everything we're facing now, we've got the brand new plague for which there is no cure, AIDS, HIV. It's a plague. Africa as a continent is terminal. There are parts of Africa it's over with. And so we are in a time of plague right now. It's just covered up better by the media who won't really let us see the actual truth of what's going on. A lot of the times, for political reasons, the truth is withheld from us. But we're in a day of plague right now. Now, that's why we need to know our God is a healer. We've got a message to this world. There is a healer. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a healer, and his name is Jesus. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But thank God we've got good news in a dark world. And what a mass of sickness and disease was present, think about it, when the great physician walked upon this world in the flesh. There was palsy, leprosy, blindness, violent fevers, epilepsy, demon possession, and the like were rampant as Jesus moved from town to town. Everywhere he went, sickness and disease. But now let's get down to it. Our need of healing is even greater still. In the moral and the spiritual realm, for this is where, folks, the ravages of sin are even more grim and obvious. Isaiah vividly summed it up when he wrote these powerful words. He says, the whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. That's his take on the world. Not talking about an individual, that's his take on the world. The whole head is sick. 
Good grief. I watch the news. I'm about to write a new book, and I'm going to call it Life in the Asylum. Because we're in, we're in an insane asylum. Good is being called bad. Bad is being called good. Light is being called dark. Dark is being called light. Right is being called wrong. Wrong is being called right. It's crazy out there. It's crazy. It's crazy. And sometimes I feel like I'm in an insane asylum. Because upside down is right side up, and right side up is upside down. If you're walking with God, you're weird. And if you're perverted, you're normal. Something's wrong out there. You know what it is? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. We're without a Savior. We're without a moral compass. We don't have one. And when you take away the moral compass, all that you're left with is we do whatever is right in our own eyes. And then that culture is doomed if God does not intervene. And so look at what uh, Jeremiah said. The heart of man is desperately sick. The moral and spiritual sickness of mankind is an open running sore. Our fundamental disease is what, everyone? Sin. The sin that alienates us from God. The sin which manifests itself in open and secret evil of every sort. Not a day goes by, there's not a scandal. Not a day goes by, there's not some news flash about someone else, something else. How desperately we need a healer. We need the healer, a physician. Our sin is like the bitter waters in the wilderness of Marah. They looked for sweetness and life, but they found only bitterness and death. They were looking for a good thing, and they found a bad thing. Yet our antidote to the poison, thank God, is near at hand. Amen? As it was near the bitter waters in the wilderness, just a stone's throw away was that tree, and God told Moses, get that tree, put it in the water, and it's going to heal the water. A stone's throw away from any human being is the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He's right there. If you want the bitter waters healed, he's right there. God performed his miracle by means of a tree growing nearby. It was the tree of God cast into the waters that healed and sweetened them. That's why I preach Christ and him crucified. Because when I preach Christ and the cross and him crucified, I see the bitter waters in the lives of people turn to sweet if they turn to him. It may take a while, but immediately God goes to work and he unravels. He's the only one I know who can unscramble eggs. Amen? And he's the only one I know who can fix Humpty Dumpty who fell off the wall and took a great fall and none of the king's horses and none of the king's men and none of the Freudian psychologists could put him back together again. <laughs> But I know one who can because I was a Humpty Dumpty. What about you? All right. Let's look at Jehovah, the healer in the Old Testament. Jehovah God is the great healer of men. He is the great healer of men. He alone has the remedy that can heal the spirits of men. Better yet, he is the remedy. And while God does heal physically, 
I believe the scripture is clear that his main concern is with the moral and the spiritual sickness and healing of mankind. For this is where all the evils of life spring from. Jesus said, all the evils spring from the heart, and they come out of the mouth. All the evils springs from the heart. It comes from that fallen nature within. Now, Mara, that place in the wilderness where the bitter water was, represents the disappointment and the bitter experiences in the life of God's children who have been redeemed just as the children of Israel had been redeemed by the Passover lamb and snatched by divine power from the terrible pursuing enemy who meet like Israel at Marah with severe testing and trial and in their disappointment and discouragement they sometimes murmur with a bitter and a faithless complaint. Mara stands for the sweetening of those bitternesses. Now this is where I want to apply this message tonight, Jehovah Rophi. The people of God, these were the redeemed, delivered, set free people of God in the Old Testament. And they experienced a great disillusioning, discouraging, and bitter experience. And the message of Jehovah Rophi is, it is there where he steps in and he turns the bitter to sweet if you let him. I was on the radio tonight listening to myself on the way here. And I heard myself say, he really does want to turn your stumbling stone into a stepping stone. Well, here's another way to put it. He really does want to turn your bitter to sweet. Our God makes all things, can you say with me? All things work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Well, we could flip that and say easily, he turns the bitter to sweet. He will extract lemon juice out of every lemon. He will turn it unless you get bitter and begin to murmur and complain. And that's where you got to say, Lord, I'm not going to murmur, not going to complain. I'm going to shut my, I'm not going to bury myself in my own wilderness like they did. I'm not going down here. This is not going to be my tombstone. It's going to be my stepping stone. And for that to happen, I can't let my tongue become my own personal shovel that buries me down six feet under where I never come back. You've got to look up and say, all right, in the middle of bitterness, in the middle of disappointment and discouragement and letdown, disillusionment, in the middle of a bitter experience where somebody or something done you wrong, you got to look up and say, all right, Jehovah Rophi, it was in the bitter Mara wilderness where you turned the bitter waters to sweet and called yourself Jehovah Rophi. Now I'm applying that name by faith. I am not going to get bitter. I'm going to get better. I'm going to go on. You know, sometimes there's nowhere to go but forward, church. If you don't go forward, you're going to die. Sometimes the only thing you can do is go forward. You have no option. The tree that Moses cast into the waters is obviously a foreshadowing of the tree on which Jesus hung, the only cure of mankind's ills, and which alone can sweeten the bitterness of human experience. I wish I could tell you that once you're a Christian, he won't allow bitter experiences to happen to you, but I'd be a really bad liar if I told you that. You're going to have bitter experiences. You are going to have bitter experiences because you're in a bitter world and you're in a poisoned world. But it's what you do with it. It's how you respond to it. And we have a Jehovah Rophi. Now, God certainly healed physical maladies in the Old Testament as well. 
after his, uh, Moses' sister Miriam was smitten with leprosy, Moses prayed, Heal her now, O God, I beseech you. And God heard him and healed her. The Old Testament clearly reveals God's anxious desire to heal the hurt of his people and the wounds and the sorrows of all mankind. Can I tell you, God feels your pain and not sound cheap saying it or formulaic. He really does feel your pain. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin, and we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. He was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So when you hurt, God hurts, and he wants to heal you. Now, he removed both plagues and pestilences. David the psalmist wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquities and does what, everyone? Heals all your diseases. But what comes first? He forgives. He takes care of the soul. Healing begins on the inside and works its way out. God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet and said, quote, For I will restore health to you, and I will heal you of your wounds, says Jehovah. And again, God says, return you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. I will heal the consequences of your backslidings. Isaiah predicted the coming of the one, that is Jesus, who would bind up the brokenhearted. That's literally a Hebrew word that means wrap a tourniquet around. He will wrap a tourniquet around your heart that is broken, and he'll bind it up until it heals. Hallelujah. You ever had the Lord heal a broken heart? Now watch this. There is no question, no question, the will, the power, and the longing to heal are all present in Jehovah Rophi. The only obstacle in the way is man himself. That's the obstacle. The remedy is there. As near as was the tree at Mara's waters, Moses said, the word is very, where, what everybody? Near you. The word of faith, the word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. There is salvation for every sin and there is healing for every evil. The remedy awaits the application of, of faith. Alas, man resists the remedy. Centuries later, Jesus himself lamented, you will not come to me that you might have life. Isn't that amazing? There sits the tree. There it is. There's the tree. And people are going through pain, heartache, destruction, tragedy. There's the tree. And the tree says, take hold of me. Take hold of the Christ on that cross. And let that blood flow into your bitterness. Let his sacrifice flow into your pain. But out of pride and stubbornness, unbelief and all of those things, they won't reach out and grab the tree and apply it to the bitter waters. But it's near. It's on your tongue. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. The tree just came into the waters of your life. Jesus, the healer in the New Testament, the Jehovah who heals in the Old Testament, is the Jesus who heals in the New. Jesus' ministry began with healing. 
at his first preaching appearance. He quoted Isaiah 61.1. We all know this, but what a powerful... I got a story about this one. No, this is another one. I'll tell you a quick story. I was... Uh, before Kathy and I were married, there was this couple that took me in, and I lived with them for a year, and they were in this little apartment. They lived upstairs, and I was downstairs. And I was into memorizing verses, and I did it out loud. So I would quote these verses, and I, you know, Kathy was there when I, I memorized Matthew 5, 6, and 7, 7 and quoted the whole thing to her. Uh, I memorized the whole book of James, quoted that whole thing to her. I just loved memorizing the Word. Well, this one night, they were upstairs, and I was mem memorizing Isaiah's words, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So I'm downstairs, and they've gone to bed, and I'm down there, and I'm single, got nothing else to do. So I'm going, who has believed our report? And I said it over and over again because the anointing was coming on me. I just liked it. Who has believed? And it was moving on me because I'm a preacher, and so you just can't quote that word without it getting... But finally, after I'd said it over and over again, the woman, she came halfway down the stairs, and she says, Jeff, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And she says, who has to leave? And they thought that I had been rebuking the devil. You have to leave. Anyway, I said, I'm okay. Okay. Just sounded real serious down there. All right. Here's Isaiah 61.1. Can we read it together? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Listen to all those descriptions of healing in the same chapter where Jesus quoted that in the synagogue. In the same chapter, Luke 4, various healings are recorded as he began his ministry. Healing of fevers, cleansing of leprosy, casting out of demons. They brought to him all that were diseased. And it says he went about everywhere, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner, all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. This is what Jesus did. His miracles of healing were proof of his identity and mission, his credentials. While healing men's bodies was a great work, many of the sicknesses he healed were striking symptoms, just symptoms, of that dark netherworld of sin, which has its roots in the soul of men and not their body. A lot of the times what you'll see manifesting in somebody, not all the time, by any stretch, but sometimes what's manifesting physically is symptomatic of something spiritual. That's the teaching of Scripture. Not always. I don't want you to misunderstand me. How often we find Jesus casting out demons. How often he said to those that he healed, go and what no more, everybody? Go and sin. He didn't say don't get, go get sick again. He said don't sin again. Or your sins are forgiven you, he would say to them after healing them. His grand invitation was, come to me and I will give you rest or cure for your souls. Jesus consummated his ministry by becoming that tree which made the bitter pools of human existence 
waters of life and healing and sweetness. The message from Mara is beautifully fulfilled in Jesus. God's people learned in that place that the waters of this world are corrupted and they are bitter. A picture of the corruption and disappointments of this life. And they learned that only the tree of God's provision, only that, could purify and sweeten and satisfy. Jesus told the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst again. At another time, Jesus cried out, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes in me, from within him shall flow rivers of clean, pure, uncorrupted, non-bitter waters. Living water. The Lord Jesus is both the tree and he's the waters. Who in his own self, Isaiah said, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live to righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. As the Old Testament closes out, the prophet Malachi predicts this, quote, But to you who fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with what in his wings? Healing in his wings. What Jehovah was to Israel at Marah, the Lord Jesus is to all who will receive and obey him, the great physician. Can we stand together? Thank God for a healing God. Thank God for a healing God. Next week, don't miss it, it's going to be Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah who is my banner in battle. And it is so powerful. It's good stuff. I want to thank the Lord for the tree. The tree that was put into the bitter waters of my life how many of you had bitter waters and Jesus came in and began to purify? Father, we thank you for the tree, the cross. We thank you for hanging on that cross, spilling your blood, and it ran down that tree. And that is the tree to which God points us and says, apply it to the bitterness of your life. And it will purify bitter waters. Morally polluted waters. Broken hearted waters. Disappointed and disillusioned waters. You may not understand all of it. But apply that cross to the waters. And let the healing of it purify those waters. Waters of broken marriages and broken relationships, bitternesses between people. Apply that cross. Thank you, Lord. I feel a healing here tonight. And I want to ask you if you've got some bitterness, some disillusionment, I want you to lift your hands up to Him and say, Lord, I apply that cross to the bitter waters, the bitter waters of Mara, I apply that cross. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's a healing here right now. I want you to release the bitterness to God. Offenses, release it to God. Jehovah Rophi calls from that cross. Let me heal the bitterness. Would you give it to him in faith tonight? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's a healing touch here right now. Pure water out of bitter. Sweet out of bitter. Thank you, Lord. praise for tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your healing. Yes. 